This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Introducing the new Starbucks Pistachio Cream Cold Brew. Silky Pistachio Cream Cold Foam tops our bold, smooth cold brew for a delicious twist on a favorite winter flavor. Make today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app. Hi, this is John Anderson. You're listening to Pantheon Podcast. Yo! History in five songs. With host Martin Popoff, a production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Yes, indeed. Welcome back again to another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcast. We are pleased, as always, to be part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, and over 40 other podcast platforms. All right. Uh, this episode, this is episode 129. We're calling it Those Electronic Drums Sound Good. Um, there's been a lot of great ideas coming in lately. This is one that I've uh, not had any sort of influence of, uh, I don't think. I don't think I've ever had any um, sort of uh, suggestions on this or asked for any input on this one. Uh, but there have been some good ones coming in that I would like to get to one day. Um, there's a bit a few kind of ones that would be more visual that might be something that might be better uh, to do with the contrarians with uh, Marco and his great editing and putting in the pictures, the album covers and things. One of the really interesting ones I do want to get to is the one about fade outs. We've been having a good discussion about songs fading out with Shannon Mahaffey and uh, Neil Miller. And uh, but but the funny thing is you, you you play the audio clips and you think, OK, what are we going to do? Are we going to fade out all these audio clips? And everybody's going to be like playing with their volume and it's going to be blasting. And then it's going to go quiet. I don't know what quite what to do uh, with that one. But it, but it is a very interesting topic for sure. Um, but anyways. This one is, uh, again, episode 129, Those Electronic Drums Sound Good. Now, what we've got going here are a few different examples of uh, of when I personally uh, kind of think that the whole electronic drum thing uh, did sound good and it was exciting and it, it made for music that lasts, that does not come out as particularly timeless uh, in in. Uh, in another, in in another, uh, I guess way of looking at it, this is when it was the right creative tool for the time for the song, and it and it does work out rather than just sounds like a gizmo 
that uh, that did not date very well. Uh, so these are uh, these are good examples of that, plus some other kind of strange discussions as we get into track number three and four. Uh, but the funny thing is, uh, the first uh, the first three examples are all from 1984. I don't know what that uh, what that tells us, but we'll uh, we'll explore as we go on here. Take a listen to our first track. This is Golden Earring with When the Lady Smiles. All right, love this song to death. I think this is one of the greatest uh, songs ever written. It's funny, you know, I, I had that old book and there's been a discussion at the Brave Words Facebook about, oh, Mar- Martin Popoff said that uh, Aerosmith Draw the Line is the best song ever written of all time. And I kind of believe that, you know, I, I have my various reasons why I kind of picked that song. But I love this When the Lady Smiles as well. I think just the chord uh, progressions and the way it builds and all the different parts are just just absolutely pure genius. I love Golden Earring. People are asking me a lot lately, um, why don't you do a Golden Earring book? Uh, bottom line is I've never interviewed a single guy from that band. Uh, it's it's almost like uh, one of these where I would have to start from uh, from a standing start uh, rather than a running start where, I, where I've got interviews with the band. But I love this band to death, uh, particularly the sort of 77 grab it for a second up until this album. So this is off of NEWS News. Uh, February 24th, 1984. And I picked this because I just love the the electronic drums on this. Now, one of the reasons I kind of hesitated doing an episode on this is because um, I, I, and I had this confirmed for me when I was doing a bit of research on this, it's really hard to find information on how the drum sounds are put together for some of these albums, especially something, uh, you know, as obscure, semi-obscure as Golden Earring. But what I love about this is that uh, there's there's kind of a minimalism to it. It's definitely an electronic drum sound. Now, this might be drums that were played and then sampled. Uh, what I mean by that, uh, it gets a little complicated. This is probably straight elect- uh, straight drum machine, electronic drums. Um, but in, in certain instances on some of these things, it is a case of a drummer hitting an, an, an electronic drum. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little later. But, but I mean, Neil, Neil Peart is a, is a very good example of that. When you get into Rush starting with uh, Grace Under Pressure, and, and, you know, when you see him live, when he swings around, he's got the acoustic set and the electronic uh, set. Or electric, yeah, electronic, I guess is, is what you would call it. Um, he is actually hitting drums. But in this, you hear a lot of different things done, uh, a lot of little bells and whistles, uh, synthesizers, drum machine, real drums. But I just love how this song absolutely pounds. And then there's also a modernity to uh, the, the way the guitars are treated on this song as well. Uh, you know, and this happens all across this NEWS album. I actually, this is almost my favorite Golden Earring album. And yet the whole album is quite, quite pronounced. Um, minimalist electronic drum sounds. Again, I'm, I'm not going to say drums. I'm going to say drum sounds throughout the album. And I think it works really, really well. Uh, there's another great song in here called Enough is Enough. Um, but uh, 
this is this is proven for me even more so when you go to later in 1984 they put out a uh, live album called uh something heavy going down now there's an a, there's a uh, a studio song in there called something heavy going down where they continue this approach of uh, of these big pounding um you know modern sounding but still but still still hefty and uh and and allowing place uh places for everything to breathe and not particularly reverby and you know do do kind of sound on it uh that's a gorgeous gorgeous song as well something heavy going down but the rest of that album is a live album you know more or less to to capitalize on the uh the semi success of the cut album with twilight zone they didn't even get a gold record for that album but, you know, they, they were kind of all the rage there for a little bit around that 83, 84 period. You know, a, a little bit of all the rage with, with Twilight Zone being this sort of novelty hit. Interestingly enough, though, well, actually, before we leave something heavy going down. So so even this this absolute masterpiece of a song, uh, When the Lady Smiles, go play this song. Uh, play it right through because at start to finish, just the drama that builds and the different chord progressions, it's just absolutely a masterpiece. But you hear it in the live rendition with real drums and it loses all its magic. So there's there's the proof uh, for me. And there are other N.E.W.S. songs on uh, this album that, again, um, you know, the reason I wanted to pick this is because it just shows the contrast of how the studio versions are actually way better than the live versions. And the live versions have real drums. And as an old school guy, I'm supposed to like real drums more, right? Well, not in this case. The last thing I want to say about Golden Earring is the cut album doesn't do this. The cut album is uh, is pretty much acoustic drums and, and their previous albums are that way as well. So they're much more old school. N.E.W.S. is where this picks up. And like I say, I think it sounds good. Uh, all right, let's move on to our next example here. Take a listen to this. This is Rat with Wanted Man. Right, so this is a month later in 1984, March 27th, 84. So a month after the Golden Earring album, uh, produced by Bo Hill. The drummer here is Bobby Blotzer. What I like about uh, Bobby, and it's Bobby and Bo kind of in concert together. Bo Hill was a very meticulous producer. He used to joke that he used to get fired all the time and then hired back and fired, you know, because the albums kept doing really well. Uh, so. What happens with Bobby uh, is an interesting thing. We get essentially, uh, you know, a big, nice, fat sounding groove out of him on an acoustic drum set. But he's got those uh, those Simmons drums in there um, for toms and he hits them and it just sounds kind of novel and cool. You're kind of happy about it. So essentially you get an old school, uh, you know, situation for 95% of what's going on uh, on these on these great rat classics from the early days but then he he tastefully massages in uh the the use of the Simmons electronic drums remember when these came out they're uh are they they're octagon shaped right octagon hexagon anyways uh and and i seem to remember they were they were red mostly or all the time but anyways uh, it's just toms that you that you essentially um well, you could have a whole kit, but but in this case, it's Tom's just massaged in with a with a regular kit. Now, uh, 
a funny thing about this is um, uh, the Revolution by Night by Blue Oyster Cult is is particularly known uh, for this sound. Uh, this is this is where famously Albert Bouchard is not the drummer. Rick Downey is the drummer, uh, and Joe Joe uh, Bouchard, the bassist said in my book, uh, Agents of Fortune. Uh, let's see. He says, they were Simmons drums, uh, size Joe, and they were just very popular at the time, but of course, they sound completely dated now. Nowadays, a drummer might use a Simmons drum for an effect, but you would never do a whole album with Simmons drums. I did the same thing with Neil on a Dead Ringer record. In fact, I think I borrowed Rick Downey's Simmons drums when we did that album. So here he is saying we overused them, essentially, and and they definitely sound overused uh, throughout uh, through throughout the revolution by night, you know, and and a lot of the times uh, there there's uh, places on this album where uh, you know a Simmons drum is used in place of a snare drum, and it sounds even worse. So there's there's just too many Simmons drums on this. Another place I think where this works really well is that transitional heart album Passion Works with Denny Carmassi, which I really like a lot. Um, it's I, we did a Contrarians episode and actually called it my favorite heart album. But there again. You get you get a mix of a of, of a kind of acoustic uh, drum sound, a little bit treated, but you get these these Simmons coming in, and I think it actually still sounds pretty good when they do come in. And that's August twentieth, nineteen eighty three. So that's also uh, in and around this uh, this same uh, place. All right, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. All right, back again. History in five songs with Martin Popoff, episode one hundred and twenty nine. Those electronic drums sound good. Um, all right, let's take a listen to our third track, and we'll discuss. This is Highway Child with Power and the Force. Wow, this is this is a great example of uh, of these electronic drums sounding amazing. Now, this is just a six-track EP. I think I might have mentioned this in uh, in Tormented by EPs, that episode, because um, I just love this EP to death. And the previous album, Storybook Heroes from 1983, is a drop-dead classic as well, but it's totally old school. This EP has these, has these uh, new school uh, sort of songs at the beginning, and then it becomes not that well recorded, frankly. Uh, you know, old school drums, and um, but but all the songs are just amazing on this thing. Um, Pale Blue Eyes also is one that uses the electronic drums, but I just think that the drums just dominate and steal the show on this Power and the Force song. I just I just love the uh, the again the minimalist, the blockiness, and the hugeness of them, and I think it was just a great creative choice, even though this is a band using this equipment when it's still kind of new and they're definitely frankly on a budget so they're not you know they don't have a lot of money to spend and have this thing sound perfect but it does sound perfect this sounds amazing um now you know anytime i talk about highway child you got to bring up uh, def leppard and and uh, heavy petting right um def leppard 
I don't think, you know, I, I went and, and replayed Pyromania because Pyromania is kind of the album that starts all this business in a big way for some of these bands. It's it's kind of like this this stream, this narrative. And I don't think the drums sound particularly good on Pyromania. Um uh, I think I think there's just been too much done to the uh, to the bass drum and snare sound. Um I think there's too much taken away from cymbals and hi hats on that album. And uh and there is the use of uh, the sort of syndrome sound as well, but I don't think they sound very good there. And then Heavy Petten is another band that has this narrative where the previous album Letting Go is more old school, but then they have this Rock Ain't Dead album uh, where this is done, and it to me is almost like a um, it it falls in between the not so great sounding Pyromania sound and the amazing sounding. Highway Child, Power and Force sound uh, you just heard. So, you know, this can be used for good or evil. And uh, and in a certain way, I think uh, I think Heavy Petten on Rock 8 Dead captured some of the excitement of doing this kind of thing right. Uh, where, again, Revolution by Night is kind of doing this thing wrong. One other thing about Revolution by Night, which I thought was interesting, is, um, is Joe says, okay, so that's produced by Bruce Fairburn. Sadly, we lost him right during the making of Yes, the Ladder, right? But but he went on to be an amazing, amazing, huge engineer uh, uh, producer. But Joe didn't think he did a very good job on Revolution by Night. And I think one of the reasons is he says we took him out of his comfort zone. Uh, we recorded this uh, clear across the country. Um, and uh, where I, I had it up on the screen here. Um, anyways, uh, it was recorded in New York, rural New York. I think it was Bearsville. And then it was mixed in New York City. And, you know, he says taking him out of his natural environment, which is Vancouver, probably wasn't a, a good idea. Um, but and, and the results sort of... Um, sort of suffer for it. Um, okay, so let's move on. This is our fourth track. We're going to a whole different place, I think, with this. Uh, this is ZZ Top Antenna Head. Love this album to death and love that they were so courageous about being very, very high tech, high sheen, blindingly high tech uh, on the drum end of things. Um, I think the drums sound amazing on here, but there's almost even more uh, of an idea that they're not hiding the fact that it is drum machine. Uh, When you listen to this album, you don't really think it's real drums. But then again... um, this could be a very complicated situation. I tried to look up a bunch of stuff on this. By the way, Antenna Head, uh, World of Swirl. There's, there's the heavy songs on here have some of Billy's best guitar work you'll ever hear. And Rhythmine, you know, I'm a huge fan of Rhythmine. That's a whole different thing. I mean, we could do a whole episode on ZZ Top and drum sounds, right? And the complication. Um, but actually, so yeah, uh, t- take a listen to this record. And I, th- I think you'll agree that everything works together, even though this, this is ostensibly an old school, old man blues band. Um, it sounds just incredible what they, what they come up with on here. This, this cyber blues ideas is, is the way they, they were calling it back then. This is January. January 18th, 1994. So 10 years later from our other stuff. But here's here's an example of uh, of how 
sort of complicated the discussion is on on the realness and what's used on this. This is Terry Manning talking about Afterburner. So we're going back through Recycler, uh, Later Than Eliminator, the album After Eliminator, uh, after, after, Afterburner. And essentially, Afterburner had a few more bells and whistles and tricks on top of Eliminator, but Eliminator had a lot as well. But but listen to this. So Terry Manning says, uh, this is a quote. I, I, I got this from Gearspace. So there's some other places I've seen this quote. The drums were a combination of things. There was programming on my Oberheim DMX drum machine, and then a multitude of samples triggered in over the snare as well, using an AMS and very carefully manually trimming the input volume to catch every beat properly. The hat was a sound from the Oberheim mixed with some sampled things and some white noise, then gated and triggered from an arpeggiated spike. Then I, one at a time, overdubbed certain other drums, some toms, and definitely cymbals. On some of the tracks of the album, I added to the tom sound, tom sounds, with a Simmons electronic kit, just barely mixed under the real ones for tom fatness. So, just to unpack that, uh, let's let's start with uh, let's see, bro. okay. So samples in over the snare. So so snare drum is just you know a snare drum is just is just two skins and then a snare underneath the snare. So so you can have an electronic snare drum. You can sample a snare drum sound and then and then manipulate it. So he's got the idea of uh, of this being mixed together. Um, the hi hat. I like this. It was sound from the Oberheim mixed with some sampled things. So you can sample a hi-hat, um, which means recording it and then, and then, you know, importing that. And then, and then you have that sound and you could, and you could sample different hi-hats and, and, you know, recorded to begin with a, a certain way and then manipulate it a certain way. But you can have an actual electronic one and you can mix them together and then you can raise the volumes or lower the volumes of what they are. Um, so, so, but this is neat. So, so Oberheim mixed with some sample things and some white noise. So he's got some white noise in there to make that uh, hi-hat sound. So you could take true white noise like distortion and, uh, and say, well, that sounds kind of like a hi-hat, doesn't it? Uh, then gated and triggered. So gated is, is when you cut off, um, you cut off the frequency or, or cut, you know, cut off or clip the sound um you know this all goes back to a lot of this manipulation goes back to uh phil collins on those genesis albums those great sounds he got and then and then he did the same thing on the peter gabriel albums as well um so this so this whole thing at uh, david bowie the berlin years so all this manipulation kind of kind of begins there i think uh and then leads into this uh this hard rock that we talk about here uh then one at a time overdub certain over, overdubbed certain other drums some toms and definitely cymbals so so here he is saying, I have massaged in a uh, proper acoustic stuff as well. And, and he's, uh, he's massaged it in, in an overdub, overdub, uh, sense. So, so he, he has this, uh, mostly electronic drum track and then it's like, yeah, you can hit acoustic drums and put that in over top of it as well. On some of the tracks of the album, I added to the Tom sounds with a Simmons electronic kit, just barely mixed under the real ones for Tom fatness. So here he is saying, uh, 80% or whatever is, is a true Tom, you know, hitting with a wooden stick on a, on a skin, on a Tom Tom. And, uh, and that's the main sound. Uh, but then he's massaged in a little bit of Simmons with it. And so this is afterburner. This is even before things get even more complicated. You know, he's actually not on antenna, um, 
but it is actually even more complicated there. There's a little bit of weirdness on XXX and Rhythmine and even the later albums as well. Uh, so so uh, yeah, ZZ Top is a fascinating thing with this whole thing. Uh, and then one of the persons commented and says, which goes to show that many times professionally recorded albums are sculpted with various sources and very, uh, very, very rarely just one, uh, very rarely just one plug and play box. Um, and then someone else says a lot of Fairlight CMI on those records too. Ardent had one and I believe Billy Gibbons had one too. Um, while long time to wait for an answer, it was pro programmed by Carl Marsh with the band. Uh, uh, custom samples of Frank's drums, all rhythm guitars were sampled too. Fairlight CMI 3 with Apogee filters. Those were probably not in it for the album though. A friend of mine had this machine now and Carl's spare machine. Carl even used the word processor for logging and billing. So there's some diary in there too. Uh, rest assured the thing is in very good hands. Carl was very happy. So, so yeah. An eliminator, like I say, is a whole story in itself. So, uh, so there you go. Uh, as as per you know the mandate of this episode, called those electronic drums sound good. I think the electronic drums sound amazing on Antenna. I just love this album to death. And again, they're not even trying to fool us really anymore with that. It's it's just some new weird cyber blues. All right, let's play the last one. This is a whole different kettle of fish here. Uh, we're going to a very strange place compared to what we've talked about. This is Tank with First They Killed the Father. This is Algie Ward's version of Tank. You know, I love what he's done. He's only done these two albums. He's he's kind of not in a good shape with health, and he's he's got tinnitus, and uh, and he's uh, he's very. He's, he's eccentric. I think he's had his problems with substances over time. I've interviewed him before. Uh, he's really hard to understand. Um, but he, on the side of this, you know, this drama, this war with Tank, uh, you know, the, the other Tank is, is more of a, a gleaming power metal machine. But Algie has proven himself to be a songwriting genius and, and you know, the, the proof of why those early Tank albums are so incredible. Um, so this is from Sturmpanzer 2018. He also did Breath of the Pit 2013. Drum machine throughout this album. Now, the funny thing about the drum machine throughout this album is you probably wouldn't even notice it in most places if you didn't know that. And why wouldn't you notice it? Because he's trying to make it sound like like a trashy thrash band drum performance. He's trying to make it sound like old tank. So on top, you get the great algae songwriting and the amazing um, chord progressions and and thoughtful lyrics and his incredible voice. You know, these are very low budget albums, um, you know, basically made, you know, at home kind of thing. Um, so Algae on his own, kind of a recluse. But I just love these records for the grit and charm they have on them. And again, the amazing, amazing songwriting. If these songs were, were you know, given a little more gloss to them, you know, these would be heavy metal masterpieces. But what I love is that he's made very tasteful drum machine decisions throughout here uh, by, by making... Uh, 
it not be distracting that you think it's a drum machine or it's not made to sound particularly like a drum machine. So it's not, it's not that he's trying to make things sound modern. He's trying to make them sound trashy. And the other way he achieves this is, uh, or, or he achieves the non-distraction of it is that he's got the drums slightly, slightly, slightly back in the mix behind, uh, those amazing riffs he comes up with and his vocals and stuff like that. So I thought that was really cool. So this doesn't follow the rules of anything we've talked about, but then again, Algie Ward does not follow the rules. Um, there you go. Some honorable mentions I wanted to talk about. Um, you know, Robert Plant's, uh, you, when you think of uh, Manic Nirvana and Tall Cool One and all that kind of stuff. So so I don't, I don't think... He, I think a lot of what Robert did was was a little bit dated. You know how Robert always wants to be on the cutting edge of things. Although ironically now he wants to be almost like write historical old old timey music from way before his time. Uh, but anyways, um, he 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 definitely uh, dabbled in this, and certain things sound pretty cool. And Tall Cool One always struck me as one where you know when 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 you have that drum riff in your head, you know the bass, the snare, and back and forth, and really no no really thought of hi hats and cymbals and things like that. You've kind of achieved something. You've 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 come up with a hook, and I think that's what you get there. And I think that's what you get with some of the things we've talked about here, like when the lady smiles, and certainly that highway child example. Um, and another one that is kind of down that road is uh, is Judas Priest Turbo Lover. You know when that when that big uniform snare comes in, that is a drum hook that you remember. And I think the drums sound really really good on Turbo Lover and some other songs on here. Not all of them, um, but I think uh, this this very cyber kind of drum sound works on the turbo album and it doesn't work so much it sounds dated um and and reverby and echoey on screaming for vengeance and defenders of the faith so i think uh you know it again with the mandate of this episode those electronic drums sound good i think ironically the electronic drums sound better on uh, on turbo than they do on the two much more lauded albums before that and then ram it down is a really curious case so this whole album is electronic drums and it was one of the reasons uh dave holland uh you know kind of quit in disgust the other was uh was you know he didn't think uh the other guys were performing that well and there was too much booze and cocaine and stuff around um but but essentially Ram It Down has some really cool electronic drum sounds on it. Where it doesn't sound good is on the fast ones that are trying to be uh, uh, thrashy. Uh, so when you get into that D-beat speed, speedy stuff like the song Screaming for Vengeance or the song Painkiller or whatever, any of these fast things um, on that album like, the, like Ram It Down itself doesn't sound good. But... When you get into kind of some of these slamming, more atmospheric things, I I think uh, they they get a good sound on Ram It Down. Um, you know, Rush, you could do a whole episode on this whole thing, but I don't think Neil Peart uh, particularly ever got that great results out of electronic drums. I think the transition album, Grace Under Pressure, is where you kind of get it in a, in a better place, where you get some of those Simmons sounds that sound kind of tasteful. Uh, it, it's it's okay, uh, but I don't think it works particularly later on. So I don't think, even though even though when we think of, um, you know, a visual of electro electronic drums, we think of Neil Peart on on his uh, his revolving drum riser with the with the acoustic kit and the electronic kit. I don't think he, uh, he was a master of this uh, electronic drums thing even though he was a pioneer at it because 
as we said of Rush, and in, in many cases, uh, you can be a pioneer of something, but then go overboard with it because you're too enthusiastic about uh, about new technology. Um, you know, and we could we can get into the whole discussion about uh, ministry and nine inch nails, and uh, because I think ministry actually uh, has some good results with electronic drums as well, where it still sounds slamming and cool and and like a modern version of that, and you're not fooled that it's electronic drums. Um, so yeah, this is this is later on stuff that sort of proves that you can do these things. But I wanted to talk uh, talk about this in context of our classic hard rock thing uh, more than anything. All right, uh, there you go. Um, if you like this show and want to support future episodes, please go to Kofi Rhymes with slash Mark Popoff. Hit that red support button. Buy me a coffee or a pint. And on that front, I want to thank this week Joe Beck to Bel Air Expediting as always, Andy at Black Sugar Transmission as always, Bruce Campbell as always. Always. Andrew Clark, uh, Lee Clifford, Tim Derling, Jeremy French, Michael Gendelman, Keith Gordon. Um, Keith's a buddy of mine from uh, just over the border in New York. He writes books, uh, pretty cool stuff. He's kind of a blues expert, Nashville expert. Um, Neil Miller, Augustin Garcia de Paredes. He just uh, proof- proofread my uh, the reissue of the Yes Visual Biography we're going to be doing. So thank you for that, Augustin. You found some, some typos. Um, Steve Polari, David Rhea. Uh, Andrew Scaliberg, Kevin Turchin, Robert Yates, and Adam Zenobi. Thank you all for supporting this podcast and uh, martinpopoff.com for all your book needs. Uh, again, I've got most of the visual biographies, but I'm almost out of, well, I'm almost out of the Yes, the Lizzie, the Van Halen. The, actually, I'm out of Almost out of all of them except the Uriah Heap. I, I kind of overbought the, the Uriah Heap. I've got a lot of those and I'll have some of those for quite a while. Um, but the Max Webster's back in print, the Flaming Telepaths continues to sell. I, I can't believe I really probably will do a second one of those, but that continues to sell. But the funny thing about that one is I'm really wondering if everybody who bought it, which is a lot of people hate it. I wonder if they're in shock about it or they love it. That's the thing. I I almost have to figure out a way to ask that question, whether people think uh, Flaming Telepaths was amazing or it was something they would never entertain anything like that ever again from me. So it's 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 an interesting thing. I might even start a whole Facebook page on this because I got to do illustrations for it again. I want to do, you know, 40 odd illustrations again. But the next one's going even way wackier and way down the rabbit hole and might drive me completely insane. Um, but yeah, interesting to see. I It's, it's a hit book, that's for sure. <laughs> the first one is a hit book, but I wonder if, people just got it and are in shock uh, and wouldn't want it again or they would really want it again. Yeah, kind of a funny one. Anyways, that's it for now. Um, If I can leave you with anything with this episode, well, I want to leave you with most of this. Um, I want you to go play play some of this latest tank. It's it's on Spotify, believe it or not, the Stern Panzer album. Uh, go play When the Lady Smiles. Absolutely amazing. Uh, go go try the heavy stuff on Antenna Head again, and especially go play uh, that Highway Child EP um, for the Wild and Lonely. Amazing, amazing thing from 1984. Talk to you later. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us 
at R and R Archaeology. <laughs>